0: Hello and welcome to All Roads Tavern, All Hallows' Eve Story Night. The only tavern in the multiverse where All Hallows lead to All Hallows' Eve. I am your host, Amy. We have a few spooky stories for you told by people from across the multiverse. To get things started, we have a very special girl who needs to get home before her bedtime. So without further ado, Nesrin Kachok. Hi everybody, I'm Nashi. As the big person said, um, so this is a story from my home. It goes back a long, long ways. But I'm here to tell it to you in hopes that it all makes you really scared. I've been trying hard lately to be scared. A lot of people tell me that I need to be scared, but then I don't be scared, and then I do things, and then people worry about me. So I kind of need to uh, be, can, so, sorry, uh, sorry, Nessie can we go on to the story? Oh, oh, yeah, yeah, sorry. Okay. Um, um, oh, um, where did I put this thing? Um, 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 oh, here it is. Okay. So this story is called "The Squeeze. One night, Mr. Green was awoken by his daughter. She told him that a man was in their bathroom. He got out of bed to check, but when he got to the bathroom, there was nothing but wet floor. There was also the acrid smell of formaldehyde. formaldehyde. Oh, okay. There was also the acrid smell of formaldehyde. You had a bad dream, honey. Go back to bed. But I saw him, Daddy. He was there, she pleaded. He must have squeezed down the toilet. Mr. Green ignored this, assuming, as adults do, that it was just a child's act of imagination. He put her back to bed and said nothing more of it. The following day, the family noticed a strange smell all over the house and odd things missing. Plastic fruit, dog treats, and a full gallon of milk drained. No one could find the family dog anywhere. Mr. Green scolded his daughter for being up to such mischief she said it wasn't her fault. The man did it. He must have squeezed down the kitchen sink. You know, honey, that a person can't squeeze through such small places. You're telling a lie, said Mr. Green. No, a person can't, but the squeeze can. Mr. Green spanked her for being such a defiant child, and she would go to bed with no dessert, but she would never admit to doing anything. The next few nights, things kept disappearing. The kitchen sink became clogged with a mass of hair and pots boiled from the drain with a smell that was like death. Mr. Green called the plumber to look into it. When the plumber opened up the pipes, he found a mass of dog hair and bones. He had found the family dog, somehow stuffed down the pipes from the kitchen. I'm baffled, said the plumber. There's no way your dog could have gotten in there. What's stranger is that it appears to have been pulled from the inside. There's no way these pipes could have that kind of suction. It was then that Mr. Green stopped scolding his daughter. The following night, Mr. Green's daughter woke him up like she did before. Daddy, she screamed from her bedroom. He ran into the room to find her sitting up in bed, crying. Honey, what's wrong? I saw the man again! He was in my room, looking at me!" Where did he go, he said, stroking her hair. He went down the vent, she said, pointing. Mr. Green didn't see how anything could get down there. He did notice that the screws were loose, and there was that smell, that horrible smell. Can I sleep with you and Mommy? She asked. It was just a dream, honey. You'll be okay, Mr. Green said. Am I going to end up like Rover?" No, honey, it's just a bad dream, he reassured her. The next morning, Mr. Green noticed his daughter wasn't up yet. Usually, she was up with the sun. He went to the room, but found her bed empty, and the stench was everywhere. He began to get worried. He searched the whole house but there was no sign of her. So, he called the police. They came and they searched the house, and the yard, and the neighbors' houses too. He told them about what she had said last night, about the man. The police took notes, and began to form search parties. They'd find her. Thinking on what had happened before, Mr. Green turned on all the faucets, but all the drains were working perfectly. Then. He suddenly became aware of the sense of death throughout the house. Moving about, he noticed it was worse near the air vents, so he asked the police to check. You can't imagine the pain Mr. Green felt when he saw his baby girl pulled from the ceiling air vent, her body twisted and broken, crushed and squeezed, unrecognizable as his beautiful little girl. The investigators pinned him as a murderer. He pleaded innocence, time and time again. He told them about the man, the man his daughter called the Stuyers. But no one believed him, just like he didn't believe his daughter. Then, the night he was found guilty, a guard walked past his cell and found it empty. The only signs of Mr. Green or an overflowing toilet and a trail of blood. No one ever saw him or the man again. If you listen late at night, you might hear a strange noise from the pipes. Check your bathroom and see if there's water on the floor. Account for everything. Are you missing anything, odds and ends, or food from the fridge? Do you smell the stench of death coming from your fence. It might just be your imagination, or it might be something sinister squeezing through the pipes, looking for its next victim. Boo! <laughs> okay, uh, thank you everybody. I better go home. I have a curfew now, it's, it, it, it kinda sucks. Bye! Next up, we have a mighty and feared terror of the sea. THE ALMIGHTY FIZZLE! Once upon a midnight dreary, while I pondered, weak and weary, over many a quaint and curious volume of forgotten war, while I nodded, nearly napping, suddenly there came a tapping, as if someone, gently rapping, rapping at my chamber door some physical, I muttered, tapping at my chamber door, only this and nothing more. All distinctly I remember, it was in the bleak December, and each separate dying ember watched its ghost upon the floor. Eagerly I wished a morrow, vainly I had sought to borrow, from my books or cease of sorrow. Sour for your lost one for your well and waiting maiden whom the angels named one all, nameless here forevermore. And the silken, sad, uncertain rustling of each purple curtain Filled me, filled me with fantastic terrors never felt before, so that now to still the beating of my heart. I stood repeating to some visitor in entrance at my chamber door. Some late night visitor in entrance at my chamber door. This, this is his and nothing more. we, my soul grew stronger, Hesitating then no longer. Sir, sure, said I. Oh madam, truly your forgiveness I implore. Doubting, dreaming dreams no mortal ever dared to dream before. But the silence was unbroken, and the stillness gave no token, And the only word there spoken was the whispered word, no. Yes, I whispered, and an echo murmured back the word, Me we this, and nothing more. Back into my chamber, turning, all my soul within me burning. Soon again I heard a tapping, somewhat louder than before. Surely, said I, surely there is something at my window lattice. Let me see then what there is, and this mystery explore. Let my heart be still a moment, and this mystery explore. Tis the wind, and nothing more. Open here I flung the shutter. Wind with many a flirt and flutter, In the step the state we raven, Of the we days of yore. Not though we still be since made he, Not a minute stopped or stayed he, But with mind of ward and weighty, Perched above my temple door. Perched upon the bust of palace, just above my chamber door, perched, and sat, and nothing more. Then this ebony bird beguiling, my sad fancy into smiling, by the and stone, the calm of the continents at war, though thy quest be shone and shaven thou, I said, art sure no craven, cast ghastly grim, and ancient waven, wandering from the nightly shore. Tell me what thy worldly name is on this night's nice Platonium shore, quoth the raven, nevermore. Much I marvel this game we follow to hear discourse so plainly, though it answer little meaning, withal reverence we bore. For we cannot help agreeing that no living human being ever yet was blessed with seeing. Bird above his chamber door. Bird or beast upon the sculpted bust above his chamber door. With such a name as Nevermore. But the waving sitting way on the placid bust spoke only. That one word as if his soul in that one word he did outpour. Nothing further than he uttered. Not a feather than he fluttered. Till I scarcely more than muttered, Other friends have flown before, On the morrow he will weave me, As my hopes have flown before. Then the bird said, Nevermore. Startled at the stillness broken by replies so aptly spoken, Doubtless, said I, what it utters is only stock and store, cut from some unhappy master. Whom a merciful disaster Fowled fast and fouled faster Till his songs one burden bore Till the dirges of his hope That melancholy burden bore Of never, nevermore. But the waving still beguiling All my fancy into smiling Straight I wheel a cushioned seat In front of bird And bust and all. Then upon the velvet sinking I betook myself to winking, fancy unto fancy, thinking what this ominous bird of yore, what this grim, we guess we want, and ominous bird of yore, meant in quoking, nevermore. Yes, I shot engaged in guessing, but no showable expressing, to the fowl whose fiery eyes now burned into my bosom's core. This and more I sat divining, with my head at ease with on the cushion's velvet whining that the wamp wick water o'er but whose velvet violet whining with the wamp white water o'er she shall pass ah nevermore Then meet up the air grew denser perfume from an unseen sensor swung by thelapim, whose footfalls tinkled on the tufted floor. Wetch! I cried. Thy god hath went thee, by the angels he hath sent thee, with spite, with spite, then, Nepemphi, from thy memories of wonor. Quoth, oh, O quoth this kind, Pamphy, and forget this lost wonor. Quoth, a oh, Raven, nevermore. Quoth it, said I, thing of evil, Prophets still, if bird or devil. Whether tempter sent, or whether tempest toss see here ashore. Desolate, yet all undaunted, on this desert land enchanted. On this home by horror haunted, tell me truly, I implore. Is there, is there balm in Gilead? Tell me, tell me I implore. Quoth the waven, nevermore. Prophet, said I, thing of evil, prophet still with bird or devil. By that heaven that bends above us, by that God that we both adore, tell this soul with sorrow waiting if, within the distant Aden, it shall quasp a sainted maiden, whom the angels named one all. quasp and well and radiant maiden, whom the angels named one all. Quoth the waving, Nevermore. Be that word our sign, of passing bird or fiend, I sweet upstarting. Get thee back into the tempest And the night Plutonium shore. Weave no black plume as token Of that lie thou soul hath spoken. Weave my loneliness unbroken. Quit the bust above my door. Take thy beak from out my heart And take thy form from off my door. Quoth the raven, nevermore. And the waven never footing, still is sitting, still is sitting on the power bust of power's dust above my chamber door. And his eyes have all the seeming of a demon's that is dreaming. And the lamp right o'er him streaming throws his shadow upon the floor. And my soul from out that shadow that lies floating on the floor. I'll be whiffed, never more. Hey, Fizzle, what are you doing? Get out of my books. Oh, no. <clears throat> Ugh, tough to follow that. But our next sardonic guest is sure to give us a devilishly good time. Argathon! Excuse me, I have a matter to pick over with you. Uh, what's that? I was told that once I leave here, I would not be able to go anywhere. Oh, yeah, that's kind of how it works when you leave All Roads Tavern. You kind of go back to the when and where that you came from. Uh, you, you, it's kind of like you never left. This is unreasonable. I demand to be put somewhere else. Uh, sorry, um, I don't really have any say over that. Uh, the tavern kind of has a mind of its own. Uh, fine, but I will destroy you. Uh, kind of also can't that? I mean, a lot of people have tried, and uh, I'm still here. So, sorry. Whatever. I can still perform, though, right? Even though you threaten my life? Uh, yeah, sure, go right ahead, man. No harm, no foul, I guess. All right. Once upon a midnight dreary. Um, uh, sorry. Um, somebody already did that one. Oh, you have been bastardized, Hmm, Shut up, dragon! I will destroy you. Oh no! Uh, actually, um, can't destroy anyone here. It's not really just me. Um, violence is very looked down upon. And shut up. Fine. Whatever. I'll use my other story then. The Red Death has long devastated the country. No pestilence had ever been so fatal or hideous. Blood was its avatar, and its seal, the redness and the horror of blood. There were sharp pains and sudden dizziness, and then sudden profuse bleedings at the pores with dissolution. The scarlet stains upon the body, and especially upon the face of the victim, were the best pan which shut him out from the aid and from the sympathy of his fellow man. And the whole seizure, progress, and termination of the disease were the incidents of half an hour. But the Prince Prospero was happy and dauntless and sagacious. When his domains were half depopulated, he summoned to his presence a thousand hale and light-hearted friends from among the knights and dames of his court, and with these retired to the deep seclusion of one of his castellated abbeys this was an extensive and magnificent structure the creation of the prince's own eccentric yet august taste a strong and lofty wall griddled it in this wall had gates of iron the courtiers having entered brought furnaces and massy hammers and welded the bolts they resolved to leave the means neither of ingress or egress to the sudden impulses of despair from without or of frenzy from within The abbey was amply provisioned, with such precautions the courtiers might bide defiance to contagion. The external world would take care of itself. In the meantime, it was folly to grieve, or to think. The prince had provided all the appliances of pleasure. There were buffoons, there was improvisatory, there were ballet dancers, there were magicians, there were cards, there was beauty, there was wine. All these and security were within, without was the Red Death. It was towards the close of the fifth or sixth moon of his seclusion, and while the pestilence raged most furiously abroad, that the Prince Prospero entertained his thousand friends at a masked ball of the most unusual magnificence. It was a voluptuous scene, that masquerade. But first, let me tell you the rooms in which it was held. There were seven, an imperial suite. In many palaces, however, such suites form a long and straight vista, while the folding doors slid back nearly to the walls on either hand, so that the view of the whole extent is scarcely impeded. Here, the case was very different, as might have been expected from the Duke's love of the bazaar. The apartments were so irregularly disposed that the vision embraced but little more than one at a time. There was a sharp turn at every twenty or thirty yards, and at each turn a novel effect. To the right and left, in the middle of each wall, a tall and narrow gothic window looked upon a closed corridor which pursued the windings of the suite. These windows were of stained glass whose color varied in accordance with the prevailing hue of the decorations of the chamber into which it opened. That at the eastern extremities was hung, for example, in blue, and vividly blue were its windows. The second chamber was purple in its ornaments and tapestries, and here the panes were purple. The third was green throughout, and so were the casements. The fourth was furnished and litten with orange, the fifth with white. The sixth with violet. The seventh apartment was closely shrouded in black velvet tapestries that hung all over the ceiling and down the walls, falling in heavy folds upon the carpet of the same material and hue. But in this chamber only, the color of the windows failed to correspond with the decoration. The panes here were scarlet, a deep blood color. Now in no one of the seven apartments was there any lamp or candelabrum amid the profusion of golden ornaments that lay scattered to and fro, or depended from the roof. There was no light of any kind emitting from lamp or candle within the suite of chambers. But in the corridors that followed the suite there stood, opposite to each window, a heavy tripod bearing a brazier of fire that projected its rays through the tinted glass, and so glaringly illuminated the room, and thus were produced a multitude of gaudy and fantastic appearances. But in the western chamber, or black chamber, the effect of the firelight that streamed upon the dark hangings through the blood-tinted panes was ghastly in the extreme, and produced so wild a look upon its countenance of those who entered, that few of the company bold enough to set foot within its precincts at all, It was in this apartment also that there stood against the western wall a gigantic clock of ebony. Its pendulum swung to and fro with a dull, heavy, monotonous clang, and when the minute hand made the circuit of the face, and the hour was to be stricken, there came forth from the brazen lungs of the clock a sound which was clear and loud and deep and exceedingly musical but of so peculiar a note and emphasis that at each lapse of an hour the musicians in the orchestra were constrained to pause momentarily in their performance to hearken to the sound and thus the waltzers perforce ceased their evolutions and there was a brief disconcert of the whole gay company and while the chimes of the clock yet rang it was observed that the giddiest grew pale and that the more aged and sedate passed their hands over their brow, as if in confused reverie or meditation. But when the echoes had fully ceased, a light laughter at once pervaded the assembly. The musicians looked at each other, and smiled as if their own nervousness and folly, and made whispering vows to each other, that the next chiming of the clock should produce in them no similar emotion. And then, after the lapse of sixty minutes, which embraced three thousand and six hundred seconds of time that flies, there came yet another time of the clock, and then there was the same disconcert and tremulousness and meditation as before. But in spite of these things, it was a gay and magnificent revel. The tastes of the Duke were particular, he had a fine eye for color and effects. He disregarded the decora of mere fashion. His plans were bold and fiery, and his conceptions glowed with barbaric luster. There are some who would have thought him mad. His followers felt that he was not. It was necessary to hear and see and touch him to be sure he was not. He had directed in great part the movable embellishments of the seven chambers. Upon occasion of this great fete and it was his own guiding taste which had given character to the costumes of the masqueraders. Be sure they were grotesque. There was much glare and glitter and piquancy and phantasm, much of what has been seen in Hernani. There were arabesque figures with unsuited limbs and appointments. There were delirious fancies, such as the madman fashions. There was much of the beautiful, much of the wanton, much of the bizarre, Something of the terrible, and not a little of which might have excited disgust. To and fro in the seven chambers were stocked, in fact, with a multitude of dreams, and these, the dreams, writhed in and about, taking hue from the rooms, and causing the wild music of the orchestra to seem as the echo of their steps. And anon these strikes the ebony clock which stands in the hall of velvet, And then, momently, all is still, and all is silent save the voice of the clock. The dreams are stiff-frozen as they stand, but the echoes of the chime die away. They have endured but an instant, and a light half-subdued laughter floats after them as they depart. And now again the music swells, and the dreams live, and writhe to and fro more merrily than ever, taking hues from the many tinted windows through which stream the rays from the tripods. But to the chamber which lies most westwardly of the seven, there are now none of the maskers who venture, for the night is waning away, and there flows a ruddier light through the blood-colored panes, and the blackness of the sable drapery appalls and to him whose footfalls upon the sable carpet there comes from the near clock of ebony a muffled peal more solemnly emphatic than any which reaches their ears who indulge in the more remote gaieties of the other apartments. But these other apartments were densely crowded and in them beat feverishly the heart of life and the revel went whirling on until at length was sounded the twelfth hour upon the clock. And then the music ceased, as I have told, and the evolutions of the waltzers were quieted, and there was an uneasy cessation of all things as before. But now there were twelve strokes to be sounded by the bell of the clock. And thus it happened, perhaps, that more thought crept, with more of time, into the meditations of the thoughts among those who reveled, and thus again it happened, perhaps, that, before the last echoes of the last chime had utterly sunk into silence, there were many individuals in the crowd who had found leisure to become aware of the presence of a masked figure which had arrested the attention of no single individual before, and the rumor of this new presence having spread itself whispering around, there arose at length from the whole company a buzz or murmur expressive at first of disapprobation and surprise, then finally of terror and horror and of disgust. In an assembly of phantasms such as I have painted, it may be well supposed that no ordinary appearance could have excited such sensation. In truth, the masquerade license of the night was nearly unlimited, but the figure in question had outherited Herod, and gone beyond the bounds of even the prince's indefinite decorum. There are chords in the hearts of much recklessness which cannot be touched without emotion, even with the utterly lost, to whom life and death are equally jests. There are matters which no jest can be properly made. The whole company indeed seemed now deeply to feel that the costume and the bearing of the stranger, neither wit nor propriety existed. The figure was tall and gaunt, and shrouded from head to foot in the habiliments of the grave. The mask which concealed the visage was made so nearly to resemble the countenance of a stiffened corpse that the closet scrutiny must have had difficulty in detecting the cheat. And yet, all this might have been endured, if not approved, by the mad revelers around. But the murmur had gone so far as to assume the type of the Red Death. His vesture was dabbled in blood, and his broad brow, with all the features of the face, was besprinkled with the scarlet horror. When the eyes of Prince Prospero fell upon the spectral image, which with a slow and solemn movement, as if more fully to sustain its role, stalked to and fro among the waltzers, he was seen to be convulsed in the first moment, with a strong shudder, either of terror or distaste. But in the next, his brow reddened with rage. Who dares? He demanded hoarsely of the group that stood around him. Who dares thus to make a mockery of our woes? Uncase the varlet that we may know whom we have to hang tomorrow at sunrise from the battlements. Will no one stir at my bidding? Stop him and strip him, I say, of those reddened vestures of sacrilege. It was in the eastern or blue chamber in which stood the Prince Prospero as he uttered these words. They rang throughout the seven rooms loudly and clear, for the prince was a bold and robust man, and the music had become hushed at the waving of his hand. It was in the blue room where stood the prince with a group of pale courtiers by his side. At first, as he spoke, There was a slight rushing movement of this group in the direction of the intruder, who at the moment was also near at hand, and now, with deliberate and stately step, made closer approach to the speaker. But from a certain nameless awe, with which the mad assumptions of the murmur had inspired the whole party, there were found none who would put forth hand to seize him. So that, unimpeded, he passed within a yard of the prince's person, and while the vast assembly, as if with one impulse, shrank from the center of the room to the walls, he made his way uninterruptedly, but with the same and solemn measured step which had distinguished him from the first, through the blue chamber to the purple, through the purple to the green, through the green to the orange, through this again to the white, and even thence to the violet, "'Ere a decided movement had been made to arrest him. "'It was then, however, that the Prince Prospero, "'maddening with rage and the shame of his own momentary cowardice, "'rushed hurriedly through the six chambers. "'While none followed him on account of the deadly terror "'that had seized upon all, "'he bore aloft a drawn dagger "'and had approached, in rapid impetuosity, "'to within three or four feet of the retreating figure.' where the latter having attained the extremity of the velvet apartment turned suddenly around and confronted his pursuer there was a sharp cry and the dagger dropped gleaming upon the sable carpet upon which instantly after fell in death the prince prospero then summoning the wild courage of despair a throng of revelers at once threw themselves into the black apartment and seizing the murmur, whose tall figure stood erect and motionless within the shadow of the ebony clock, gasped in unutterable horror at finding the grave cerements and corpse-like mask which they had handled so violent and rudeness, untented by any tangible form, and now was acknowledged the presence of the Red Death. He had come in like a thief in the night, and one by one dropped the revelers in the blood-bedewed halls of their revel, and died each in the despairing posture of his fall. And the life of the ebony clock went out with that of the last of the gay, and the flames of the tripods expired, and the darkness and the decay and the red death held illimitable domain over all. And last up, only because it took her so long to walk up to the stage... Oh, shut up! I heard that! Crazy Kona! (laughs) Yesterday, upon the stair, I met a man who wasn't there. He wasn't there again today. Oh, how I wish he'd go away. When I came home last night at three, the man was there waiting for me. But when I looked around the hall, I couldn't see him there at all. Go away, go away, don't you come back anymore. Go away, go away, and please don't slam the door. Last night I saw upon the stair a little man who wasn't there. He wasn't there again today. Oh, how I wish he'd go away. Thank you, everyone, for listening to All Roads Tavern, All Hallows' Eve Story Night. Make sure to have a safe and fun Halloween. And remember that all roads lead to all Roads Tavern. Even the cul-de-sac where the creepy old lady lives that no one dares trick-or-treat at. This, this, this has been a Lithmage adventure. For more tales, go to Lithmage.com. Where we forge the fantastic.